You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin with breaking news. Global News has learned the federal government is looking at dropping the COVID-19 vaccine requirement for entering the country. Use of the ArriveCan app would also become optional, according to some reports. And for the very latest, let's bring in our Kamal Kuramali, who's at YVR tonight. Kamal, the tourism industry, airlines, even border communities have really been pressuring the government about this. Chris, not to mention pressure from the international airline passengers who faced backlogs for months here at YVR. Now a government source has told Global News that the vaccine mandate to enter Canada will be dropped as early as September 30th when those border measures are set to expire following in the footsteps of many countries that have already axed those vaccine mandates earlier this month. I think that obviously the government has to take a balanced approach. The, differ the difference is, is that Canada is now virtually alone. Uh, last week, Australia and New Zealand dropped uh, the rest of their pandemic uh, mandates. Uh, Europe and uh, the UK had done it for quite some time. The US still maintains a vaccine mandate for international entry of non-citizens. However, uh, their mandate has been much smoother in terms of the enforcement. Now, listen to this because this is key. The government source also added that the plan still needs to be finalized by P Prime Minister Justin Trudeau before it can be officially announced. We don't know yet when that will happen, but we know in late June, the government lifted the vaccine requirement for domestic and outbound travelers, but it did remain for inbound travelers into Canada. Now, it's not clear also whether random testing will continue for those inbound travelers, and there are still some questions whether that Arrive Can app will still be required or if it will become optional or scrapped altogether. As you mentioned, Chris, we're hearing that it could be optional. Now, the current rules for Canada require foreign nationals to show proof of an approved COVID-19 vaccine. And people we spoke to arriving today said it's a relief to learn that will no longer be required coming into Canada. I think it's about time. You know, we've been um, battling through all this uh, for what? three years it's about time yeah and you know with all the vaccines i guess it's a little bit safer i think this the right time to get rid of that things in my opinion because uh yes yeah, it's, it's getting normal something like that so people feel more comfortable now, the U.S. still requires proof of vaccination uh, upon entry into that country. Now, it, it, Chris and Sophie, it's not yet known whether they will follow suit with Canada or uh, maybe announce uh, something at a later date. That's still yet to be determined. Back over to you for now. All right. A lot to be confirmed for sure. Thanks very much, Kamal. A three-year-old boy who was allegedly taken from BC Children's Hospital on Monday was found early this morning near Calgary with his mother. Our Krista Dow joins us from outside BC Children's Hospital. Now, Krista, before that Amber Alert came out, the boy's mother had been posting videos online. What were those about? Sophia Toro, there were five videos posted online, some dating back about a week before that Amber Alert was issued. And we've since learned that three of them have been taken down in those videos. They provide context and insight about the boy's deteriorating health and what doctors were advising.
They're going to remove my child from me. This video recorded days before the alleged abduction of a three-year-old boy. The woman at the center of it about to become the subject of a police hunt. Vancouver police say a child was taken from B.C. Children's on Monday afternoon. And nearly 11 hours later, police issued an Amber Alert. By morning, the pair, who we are no longer identifying, was located in a vehicle near Calgary, more than 1,000 kilometers away. She was arrested and the boy taken to a nearby hospital. A part of me can't believe that I'm hiding from the ministry and their police. In this eight-minute video posted online prior to the alleged abduction, the boy's mother shares details about her dispute with doctors and social workers from the Ministry of Family and Child Development. At issue, the medical care for her child. The woman says she was refusing immediate medical treatment for her son's bacterial infection, despite doctor's orders. But they need to know if it's attacking my son's brain, causing meningitis. I'm currently in a battle with the ministry over the well-being of my child. A family lawyer says parents have some rights, but it's not absolute, especially when it comes to the health and safety of a child. The government will step in again when, in their opinion, and they do have a lot of discretion here, when in their opinion that the child is being harmed, neglected, or otherwise abused because of the decisions of their parents. It might be so extreme that uh, full removal is required. In a statement, MCFD says efforts are made to ensure intervention is the minimum necessary to protect the child's health and safety and may require staff authorizing health care for a child. All right, they have the boy, uh, Krista. Are any charges being laid? Uh, Sophie, at this point, Vancouver police tell me no charges have been laid, but they say it is a very complex investigation and could take weeks or months to complete. But they are crediting that Amber Alert in helping locate the boy who at this time is receiving care. All right. Thanks for that. Krista Dow reporting in Vancouver. Homicide investigators are asking for some help after a man was found, uh, found passed out in a running vehicle and he later died. Officers were called to 127th Street near 88th Avenue just before 9.30 this morning where they found the victim. Emergency crews tried to save the man but were unsuccessful. Police believe there is a criminal element to the man's death and IHIT has now taken over the investigation. Anyone with any information is asked to call police. Well, the family of Amanda Todd will have to wait another three weeks to learn the sentence of her harasser. Aiden Coban's hearing was supposed to begin today, but as Rumi Nadea reports, illness has derailed those plans. There's no one in town, I know. It was supposed to be the final chapter in Amanda Todd's story, a story the world has come to know. But the sentencing hearing for the teen's tormentor, 44-year-old Aidan Coben, has been postponed because lead Crown Counsel Louise Kenworthy has COVID. We've waited 10 years for this, so two weeks is nothing compared to how long we've waited for this trial to happen. Last month, a B.C. jury found Coben, a Dutch citizen, guilty for sexually blackmailing Amanda Todd from the tender age of 12. The Port Coquitlam teen was 15 when she took her life in 2012. 
The jury delivered guilty verdicts on all five counts. Extortion, possession of child pornography times two, child luring and criminal harassment. Defense opposed to the adjournment because according to the terms of surrender, Coben is supposed to be quickly returned to the Netherlands after his Canadian trial. Any jail time received in Amanda's case is expected to be served overseas, where Coben is already serving an almost 11-year sentence for similar crimes against dozens of children. Crown and defense far apart on what sentence Coben should receive here. No specifics were given in court Tuesday. I am okay with Mr. Coban not serving any time on Canadian soil. Where he serves it, as long as it is in prison somewhere, that there is security in the prison, that Mr. Coban doesn't have um, possible access to the internet, that's okay. The new sentencing hearing has been set for October 11th to the 14th. Coben must be returned home to the Netherlands within 45 days of receiving his Canadian sentence. Romina Dea, Global News. Vancouver police are launching a dedicated team to investigate the riot at the PNE Amphitheater. And people who were there should know they'll be combing through footage of the destruction and chaos caused by some of the concert goers. And as Grace Key reports tonight, new video has emerged of the rapper whose no-show led to the angry outburst in the first place. New videos emerging a rapper Little Baby at a Las Vegas nightclub, according to TMZ, at 3 a.m. Sunday, just hours before he was supposed to perform at Vancouver's Breakout Festival at the PE Amphitheater. Instead, this is the performer leaving the site just before it was announced that the show was canceled. Sending some angry fans into a violent, destructive rampage, causing hundreds of thousands of dollars in damage. In a statement, he wrote, I have been going so hard these past few months without any breaks that it finally caught up with me and my body completely shut down. Seven people were arrested for breach of peace. Vancouver police are asking concert goers to hang on to their video. Like past disturbances, it will be a key component in the investigation. We know that video review will be a main component of this investigation. There were a lot of people there who had video. We're seeing it online. So again, we'll, we'll, we will have more information on how that video can be submitted. Um, but this is similar to the Stanley Cup riots in 2011 and the Guns N' Roses riot of uh, 2002. So it will be sim similar, and, and this team will look at all aspects. PE staff didn't know about the cancellation until after the performer left the site. The PE says it hosts about 1,800 event days a year safely, including previous breakout festivals that did include a late headline cancellation without incident. To try and guess that a thousand people or, or people will react so badly when. There is so much past experience that is not indicative of that we would need to staff to that level. I don't think is fair and quite honestly would make it cost prohibitive for promoters to bring events to our city. The PE credits Vancouver police with preventing the situation from getting any worse and dispersing the crowds. Grace Key, Global News. A Vancouver couple is suing the Metro Vancouver agency that operates the Cleveland Dam. They were caught in the rush of water when workers unexpectedly opened the floodgates, sending a cascade of water down the Capilano River. Now, as Catherine Urquhart reports, they want compensation for the stress they endured. 
Nearly two years ago, a drum gate was opened at North Vancouver's Cleveland Dam, resulting in water levels on the Capilano River rising approximately three meters. 61-year-old Ryan Nickerson died. His 27-year-old son, Hugh, is presumed dead. Four others had to be rescued. It was just scary how fast it rose because all these rocks here disappeared within a minute. Now two of the survivors are suing. In separate claims, Shihiro Nakamura and Mateus Wyachek are seeking compensation from both the Metro Vancouver Regional District and the Greater Vancouver Water District. The B.C. Supreme Court civil claim describes their frantic efforts to escape the water, saying the force of the rushing waters separated them and she fell further behind him. She was able to grab and climb onto a tree angling out from the edge of the river shore. And when her husband was unable to reach her, she thought she was going to die. The dam didn't have any or any adequate alarms or warning systems, according to the suit. Last year, several audible and visual alarms were installed near the Cleveland Dam. It's a system of six uh, sirens along the river. The first one is up here at, um, at the dam. The next one down is at the hatchery. And then the other four are near the bridges uh, further down the river. Early findings indicated human error caused the rushing waters. Three people involved in the incident were fired. In response to the suit, Metro Vancouver told Global News, we have had no direct contact from the couple other than receiving their claims. They have made no prior attempts to work with us or notify us about their experience. The civil claim seeks damages for pain and suffering, loss of enjoyment of life and loss of earning capacity and income. A statement of defense has not been filed. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. North Shore Rescue has been called out to the Grouse Grind for help with a police investigation. North Vancouver RCMP say they're looking for a suspect who took off up the trail carrying a fishing pole. Now, they won't say why they want the man in custody. It is believed the suspect went off trail near the halfway mark. Rescuers are searching both sides of the trail. The suspect is around 35 years old with a buzz cut. He's wearing a black sweatshirt, blue jeans and blue sneakers. If you see someone matching that description, call RCMP. We're now hearing more from BC NDP leadership hopeful Anjali Apatarai on the allegations leveled against her campaign in recent weeks. For the very latest, let's bring in Legislative Bureau Chief Keith Baldry from Victoria. Keith, Apatarai's uh, campaign has had a couple of hiccups. What is she <laughs> saying about it? Yeah, very interesting. She's under investigation, as you mentioned, by BC Elections, uh, Elections BC, sorry. Uh, also, her campaign under investigation, internal invest investigation conducted by the NDP. No updates on those, but she's been reluctant to do much media. Uh, we tried to contact her on the weekend. She didn't want to give an interview, but she went on the, the CKNW radio show today, the Mike Smith show, says her campaign has done nothing wrong. She was also asked about her uh, position to oppose pretty well a huge chunk of the current government's economic plan. And that goes towards such things as resource projects, such as the Site C Dam, the Coastal Gasoline Pipeline, natural, uh, LNG Canada, fracking and such. She says it's simply reflective of the grassroots signature she's getting out there, seeing a lot of people wanting to take the party in a completely different direction. Here she is. If the grassroots base is pushing the party on these issues and saying we're moving in the wrong direction, we shouldn't be approving these projects. We're in a climate emergency. We should be responding to the crisis. Um, 
a different way, you know, that's, that's, that's healthy. That's a healthy conversation between the grassroots and the government. And so the NDP values, which I um, um, completely uh, aligned with, and that's why I'm running for this party, believe in that in that healthy um, participation of the grassroots. I and the, and the NDP party has these wonderful grassroots uh, institutions and structures that um, that need to be revitalized. And that's really what I'm here to do. And that's what all these new members hopefully are are going to do: revitalize the grassroots of the party. A couple other things she disclosed in that interview with Mike Smith. She says she doesn't know how many people she signed up. Of all rumors are out there that it numbers in the thousands. She also said that she's still not an official candidate. She hasn't been on the ballot yet. She hasn't gone through the vetting process. So it's entirely possible this could still be a one-person race. We'll know more on that in the first week of October. So much to be decided. All right, thanks very much, Keith. Well, when inflation spikes, grocery shopping gets serious. How some shoppers are still saving money even as prices skyrocket. That's next on the News Hour. Surprisingly, we don't actually know very much about dogs. The new lab at UBC looking for volunteers. Why dogs and their humans are being studied later. And the ghost train's stuck at the station while the popular Stanley Park attraction won't be open this year. That's coming up. Right now, though, the cost of groceries is way up due to inflation, and a new study shows it's changing the way we shop. Many shoppers are getting pretty creative about saving money. Richard Zussman has more on the study and what we can expect. I have heats. And uh, some sweet. Every item going into this bag goes in with thought, a conscious decision around the cost of food. Food prices up this month, the biggest increase since 1981. Compared to last August, condiments, spices and vinegars up 17.2%. Non-alcoholic drinks up 14%. Fresh fruit up more than 13%. Dairy up 7% and meat up 6.5%. All of this leading to British Columbians doing more, from loyalty programs to flyer shopping to coupons. I go through the flyers and I circle and um, some places I'll price match. Fewer than 30% of people have made no changes to the way they shop, with many switching to store labels from brand names. While inflation cools, grocery prices stay high due to extreme weather, the war in Ukraine, and supply chain problems. A typical grocery bill, including milk, meat, pop, vinegar, fruit, flour, and bread, has gone up. This cart would have been $62.43 a year ago, now just short of $69, leading to families making tough decisions. As, as a household, we, we just can't justify those kind of expenses. Economists are still trying to understand why as inflation levels out, the price of food continues to climb. And it doesn't look like there's any good news on the horizon. I, I would think rises of anywhere from five to 10% over the course of the next 12 months would likely um, be something that the Canadians should should be budgeting for. We've seen the signs of this back in, in March yet again uh, in terms of people's buying habits. Government providing some tax relief to lower income families to fight inflation. But with a quarter of people in this country cutting back on what they buy and 7% skipping meals entirely, it's clear that's just not enough. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. 
And inflation is a double whammy for food banks and soup kitchens. Rising food prices prompting more people to seek their services, even as donations drop. Kylie Stanton reports. So today we have a rosemary and lemon chicken with salad and rice. Containers are filled, stacked and bagged over and over again. Anywhere from 200 to 250 lunches per day. That's roughly double the number served pre-pandemic, putting pressure on the Rainbow Kitchen like never before. It's just meant an insane increase in the amount of money it takes to keep this place running. But donations in the form of food and money are only trickling in. 36, From the food kitchen to the food bank, it's the same story. All these uh, shelves would normally be full with... Since uh, January, demand here at the Goldstream Food Bank is up by 67%, while donations are down by nearly a third. Where we used to get uh, one, uh, six, seven banana boxes of food, we now get one or two banana boxes of food. Dubose says with inflation hitting a level not seen in more than 40 years, families working hard to make ends meet are finding themselves needing a helping hand at the end of the month. People that both have a job, but with everything being so high, they need that little boost at the end. According to food banks of BC, those accessing support across its more than 100 members has hit unprecedented highs. Between December of 2021 and March of 2022, the number of new clients was up by 50%. I'm a low-income senior and um, just trying to make ends meet. And being fed for free frees me from certain financial burden. The question now is how to keep up. How are we going to do it? There's hardly anything on the shelf. And while volunteers often have no choice but to work with what they've got, these hampers are still being filled. That's all we can do. The hope is getting the word out will help drive up supply. What comes down to food and funds. Those are really the things that keep us going so that we can keep making the lunches that are needed in our community. Kathy Stanton, Global News, Victoria. They appreciate cash donations too. They can shop a lot better than you and I can with it. So give if you can. Coming up, roam when you want to. The new technology that can save you a bundle on your next vacation and why it has its drawbacks too. Also coming up, an immigration scandal stretching from Surrey to Central Europe and why it could take years to wade through the evidence. Good evening, crews are on scene to a crash here in Burnaby, eastbound on Highway 1, just east of Kensington. It was partially blocking the right lane, but now all lanes are open. The damage is done, though. Traffic is backed up to the Cassiar Tunnel in Vancouver. At BCAA, we are over 1 million members strong and moving you forward through the power of membership. Join the movement today at bcaa.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global 1 above Highway 1 in Burnaby. Well, we have told you many horror stories about travelers facing high roaming costs when they head out of town, leading to huge cell phone bills. But technology has come up with a new way to avoid those post-vacation surprises. And Andrea has the details and the drawbacks. And Thanks, Chris. Buying a prepaid SIM card is one way to save money on data roaming charges. But tech experts say we are transitioning away from physical SIM cards to eSIMs, which can be a much cheaper option when traveling to the U.S. or internationally. But the new technology is not without bugs. An eSIM is a SIM card already embedded in your phone. 
most newer phones like the iPhone 10 to 14, Samsung Galaxy, and Google Pixel support eSIMs. Before you travel, though, you can download the app from an international eSIM provider, select the country, and prepay for it. Once you land, you can then activate eSIM and save money on your data. The local or international carrier provides you with a QR code, and once scanned, all of the data from eSIM is programmed inside your phone. One of the downsides, however, is some eSIMs are data only, so you don't have a physical phone number. And be warned, not every country's carriers support eSIM technology. So if you go to a developing nation, you might find that they don't have eSIM compatibility. So you're still going to have to use a physical SIM. You want to make sure that your phone actually has both options just in case. eSIM is very new, and so this service that people are using can be buggy and it may not work. The cheapest way that you're going to get it is if you actually go and use one of the carriers in the U.S. and get a data-only eSIM plan. Certainly, you're going to save a lot of money. And again, you can still have your local number activated, but you're going to be using the data from that U.S. eSIM provider. Canada's big three cell phone providers, Bell, TELUS, and Rogers, all offer similar roaming plans for travel, allowing you to access your monthly data for $12 a day in the U.S. and $15 a day in international destinations. However, if you want to avoid roaming fees altogether, TELUS and Bell advise customers to turn off data roaming prior to arriving at their destination and also refrain from sending text messages or making or answering phone calls while outside of Canada. Rogers, however, recommends customers put their phones on airplane mode to prevent extra charges because disabling the roaming feature under cellular data only turns off data while roaming. And if you exceed the data in your monthly rate plan while roaming, you will be charged a fee for the extra data you use. Pay-per-use roaming rates are also an option with all three providers if you're making only a few calls or texts, but charges can add up quickly. And always, of course, read the fine print in each provider's roaming plan to avoid any unexpected charges. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right, thanks, Anne. Up ahead, an immigration scandal. Law enforcement treats this as low priority. Why authorities are reviewing dozens of immigration files handled by a crooked lawyer. Also tonight, the lab that needs labs and other dog breeds too. A new pet project at UBC later. From the stories we need to know to a look at what's happening right now around us. When BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News. Connect. Good evening. Here we are at the Massey Tunnel where counterflow is out two lanes in both directions, but still a bit of delay for southbound traffic on the approach. Through a charitable partnership between Kermac Cares for Kids and Surrey Memorial Hospital, when you choose Kermac Collision and Autoglass, you also support the Surrey Memorial Children's Health Center. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. Canada's Border Services Agency is scrutinizing dozens of cases of a disgraced B.C. immigration lawyer. It's an investigation that could result in dozens of deportations and cost taxpayers big time. Aaron MacArthur reports. For more than a decade, Budapest at the center of a refugee fraud case in Canada. 
a Surrey lawyer, filing dozens of refugee claims on behalf of people from Hungary and other Central European countries. In August, Balraj, Roger Bati was sentenced to 22 months in jail for forging doctor's notes and police reports in order to fraudulently delay refugee hearings for his clients. The offenses occurred over a dozen years between 2002 and 2014 when the Canadian Border Services Agency raided his Surrey offices. Bati pleaded guilty to 17 counts including forgery and misrepresenting facts. Most of the clients involved in the charges were removed from Canada. So it's much easier to go after their clients, walk in with a search warrant, grab the hard drive, get the client list, put every client on immigration hold. But now, according to the CBSA, it is investigating at least 75 files. The agency is reviewing these cases and will take the steps necessary to ensure the integrity of Canada's refugee system. It costs the taxpayer a small fortune to deal with these immigration problems. Start the music, let's boogie! Body was politically well-connected. His wife worked as an aide to former Premier Mike Harcourt. Former Cabinet Minister Mo Sahota writing a letter of support at his sentencing. He was represented in part by former Chief Justice Wally Opel. His legal team argued for a conditional sentence saying he pleaded guilty and was a low risk to re-offend, considering his legal practice was shuttered. Yet, Judge Mark Jete chose jail time, writing in his sentencing, Mr. Body's conduct corrupted a system of clear importance to the security of the country and its borders. It took six years for charges to be laid, and another two to get to sentencing despite a guilty plea. The CBSA says these are complex files that often involve solicitor-client privilege. Immigration lawyers say there's little appetite to prosecute. But the reality check is that law enforcement treats us as low priority, both in investigation and in the judicial process. Questions have been raised about the possibility of civil forfeiture now that Roger Batty has been convicted. The provincial government, as of yet, has not launched any civil forfeiture proceedings. Aaron MacArthur. Global News. Well, new research shows night owls could be at greater risk than early birds when it comes to certain health problems. Rutgers University researchers compared activity patterns and sleep cycles of people who prefer to be active later in the day and night and people who like to be active in the morning. They found night owls had less ability to use fat for energy, which they say means fats may build up in the body, increasing diabetes and cardiovascular disease risk. The study also found early birds are more physically active and have better fitness levels than night owls who were less active during the day. Here's a rough assignment. <laughs> I, could, I couldn't help myself. UBC is recruiting dogs and their owners to come play all in the name of science. The University Animal Welfare Program has opened a new research program focusing on dogs. They're calling it the Human-Animal Interaction Lab, set up with barely concealed microphones and cameras so they can watch owners and how they play with their dogs. Researchers want to learn about dogs' personalities and perhaps just as importantly about their human handlers. We are allowing the dog to behave as they like and we can observe the behavior from the observation room and collect data later on from video. First, we want to learn more about the dogs. Dogs are ubiquitous in human society. They're everywhere. Um, it's almost 
impossible to find a human settlement without dogs. And, but surprisingly, we don't actually know very much about dogs. What is mood? How do we measure mood? Um, and so on. And so these are the kinds of questions that we want to answer here. Researchers also want to examine how a dog's breed or its background might affect its behavior. I'm going to get a dog just for that. You, my wife has already texted me saying she <laughs> wants to be a part of it. Still ahead, BC's vibrant Latin music scene. The Cuban transplant who found love and a new life in Vancouver when COVID hit his home country. And the Stanley Park Halloween tradition that's gone off the tracks this year. Okay. Yvonne is chirping me. I'm yeah. chirping him. And she, as she should. I am twice her size and she, she doesn't care. Is she giving you a rough time? Oh, yeah, yes. see, exactly. I asked him when I came into the studio if he had a rough day. <laughs> I get it. You started it. I did kind of start it, didn't I? I deserve it. He's giving me a rough time now. <laughs> You're barking up the wrong tree if you want an apology. I know, You're double the size. All right, here we go, guys. Uh, it's been beautiful out there. We've got plenty of sunshine in the mix. Uh, we've got another warm one and then a blip in the forecast, especially as we get in towards the next couple of days. And I'll show you why in the timeline and what we can anticipate. But a gorgeous sunset this evening. It's beautiful along the water. It has been breezy at times. We've seen some of those gusts just over 30 and closer to 40 kilometers per hour. We're currently sitting at 19. And we've got a north westerly wind at 22 kilometers per hour. A few other spots today with Lit and Lillouette still getting up to 25 degrees, low 20s for much of the southern interior, and Kelowna today topping out at 21. Overnight will dip down to 12. That's a plan through the day with the sunshine tomorrow. 21 away from the water up to 26. With the humid exit, it'll be feeling closer to 27. We still have that ridge over the next couple of days, but the area of concern or the timeline rather will be for Friday. That's the blip where we'll see the return for some wet weather. It'll likely be periods of rain tapering off to showers towards the evening and then it rebounds quite quickly for both our Saturday leading in towards our Sunday or back into some sunshine it'll rebound once again. I wanted to touch quickly on the numbers we'll see that dip by Friday and then rebounding towards the weekend. I also wanted to give an update on Hurricane Fiona. We are going to be tracking this now international but also national. We are going to look at this track affecting Atlantic Canada so be prepared in the coming days we'll have more information. Right now, it's at a Category 3. The projected track in towards Atlantic Canada will be Friday, Saturday. So we'll have more on this in the coming days. But a heads up, especially if you're making any travel plans, we'll see that with the potential for hurricane-force winds across that region. Now, the northern half of the province, it's a stunning day for tomorrow with that sunshine. Much of the central and southern half of the province will be dry across the board. Along the south coast, we will see a bit of a breeze closer to the water, up to 30 kilometres per hour. And then most areas for Metro Vancouver will have two days of sunshine, blip on Friday and back into some sunny and dry skies for both our Saturday and Sunday. Tonight's weather window, a gorgeous shot. Rainbow captured in Chinook Cove from Kirk. Guys, that is lovely. Wow, perfect. Thanks, Yvonne. Well, some disappointing news for this Halloween. The Stanley Park Ghost Train has been cancelled, but it has nothing to do with COVID-19 this time. No, the park board says it's been forced to pull the plug because of mechanical issues with the aging engines and passenger cars. The park board says the trains simply didn't pass their recent inspection and because some of the engines are more than 60 years old, both parts and mechanics with specialized skills are very hard to find. So they're working hard to get the issues resolved in time for the Bright Nights holiday season train. They're also working with the SFU School of Sustainable Energy Engineering team 
on a long-term solution to update their aging fleet, possibly to electric trains. I Very see, cool. Squire, you look like you're smirking. Or well, you wouldn't not? that be part of the fright? Not only will you see ghosts in the bush, but this train might be unsafe. <laughs> Your life True. is at risk. Just it's like it's rickety, aboard. it could fall apart. That might be part of the problem. <laughs> anyway, Lost. just an idea. I'm sure they won't take my idea. Uh, okay, so there is now a player in the NHL who will soon have a bigger yearly salary than Connor McDavid. Yes, it is Nathan McKinnon. He signed a new deal today with Colorado that starts next season. It'll make him the highest paid player at $12.6 million per year. Pretty good money. Also tonight, how a move to Vancouver rekindled the love of performing in this Cuban transplant. Squires here talking about some big money. Yes, very Huge big money. Well, for the NHL, it's big money. The NHL has a new tycoon, the highest paid player in history. At least he will be for a little while. Colorado's Nathan McKinnon, who signed an eight-year contract extension with the Avalanche for $12.6 million per year. That's exactly double what he makes right now. The new contract won't start until after this season. And if you're wondering, $12.6 million a year is $100,000 more a year than Connor McDavid gets from Edmonton. Now, McKinnon is not the best player in the NHL, but he's one of the best, and he might be the best example of the term power forward. Not only can he drive the net with strength, he can do it, as you see here, with speed. He just helped the Avs win the Stanley Cup. He's still only 27 years old, so barring injury, there should be a good number of highly productive years in this deal. And while McKinnon's new contract is the biggest the NHL has ever seen when it comes to cap hit per season, how does it measure up around the other North American leagues? Well, as you can see, what is number one in the NHL per year right now isn't even close to number one anywhere else. McKinnon's $12.6 million a year is nothing more than a middle-class wage in the NFL and Major League Baseball this season, and it's even further down the list in the NBA, just to show you how different the NHL is from the other leagues. Well, here is a picture beside me right now that haunts Canuck Nation. It's worse than showing any Canuck fan a picture of Leatherface. Zdeno Chara lifting the Stanley Cup at Rogers Arena in 2011. Today, Chara signed a one-day contract with Boston, and then he retired as a Bruin after 24 NHL seasons. He played until he was 45 years old for the Islanders, Ottawa, Boston, Washington, and the Islanders again. But a lot of people forget he once played for the Prince George Cougars in the Western Hockey League. And he was one of three veteran defensemen who retired today. P.K. Subban also packed it in at the age of 33 after playing his last three years in New Jersey. He was a free agent this summer, didn't sign with anybody. He won gold for Canada at the 2014 Olympics and two World Junior gold medals. Played for Jersey, was also with Nashville as well, but of course his glory years when he was one of the best defensemen in the league were with Montreal. He won the Norris Trophy with the Habs in 2013. Also, he was a great guy in the community and for charitable organizations, especially when he was with Montreal. This year, his off-ice work earned him the King Clancy Award from the league 
which has given the players who do outstanding charity and humanitarian work. And Keith Yandel retired. He holds the NHL record for playing in 989 consecutive games. Played for Philly, Florida, the Rangers, and the Coyotes. Although he might not have the Ironman record for long, Phil Kessel is at 982 straight games, only seven behind Yandel, and he's playing for Vegas this season. Well, last Saturday, Lucky Whitehead and the BC Lions didn't just beat the Calgary Stampeders in overtime. Lucky was also unlucky enough to get punched at the end of the game which led to Lions players going to the Stampeders dressing room where cops and security held them back. A little bit of pushing and shoving as the two teams leave the field. It was more than just a little pushing and shoving at the end of the Lions-Stamps game in Calgary on the weekend. What you didn't see on TV was when Lions receiver Lucky Whitehead was sucker punched by Stamps linebacker Cameron Judge. Judge suspended one game for his post-game actions. You're walking off the football field. Next thing you know, what happens? Yeah, I mean, I was I shook a, shook a couple of my guys' hands. Uh, dapped up Mario, dapped up Luches. Uh, standing in the middle of the field with my my peace sign up. I mean, I see him walking over. He has his helmet on, so I'm not thinking. That's what you coming to do. You know what I mean, uh, he said something, struck me in my face, and then kind of one I seen one of his guys came and grabbed him. Then he went inside the locker room was what it was. Is it assault? Like, is it something that should be investigated criminally? I can't speak to that. I, I, I know it's very rare to, to see someone get hit like that, but I, I, I'm not going to step into those, uh, those waters because I'm, uh, I'm not qualified enough to talk like that other than to say it's sure is disappointing. Whitehead has always been a player whose words speak just as loudly as his on-field actions. In Lucky's case, they go hand in hand. He can trash talk with the best of them, and Saturday's game against the Stamps was no different, and he clearly got under the skin of the Stamps with some of his comments. You know, your uh, trash talk during the game uh, <laughs> about family, about sister, about all that stuff, that it was uh, over the line. I mean, is it was it normal trash talk? It's normal trash talk. I said it then to him in the first game, too. So, uh, like I said, it's, if people to throw out your mama jokes, is that okay? Like, we do it. We grown men. Suck it up. Uh, you don't see us talking or really conversating throughout the whole game. You know what I mean? You think if you win that game, you acting that way. I don't think so. You know what I mean? So it is what it is. Ever since Todd Bertuzzi said that, mm -hmm. everybody's got that one. Yep. It is what it is. I'm not sure if Todd was first, but he said it best. He Put it on a bumper sticker. Yeah, that's right. All right. Thanks very much, Squire. Up next, the musician who moved here for love and brought a little bit of Cuba with him. Well, Julio Avila left his homeland of Cuba for Canada to be with his new wife. Very romantic, but he also left his band behind. At her urging, he started a new one. And as Jay Durant shows us on This Is BC, he's now sharing his passion with the province. They've only been together for nine months, but Julio Avila knows exactly how to describe his new band's live shows. Very good, very good. <laughs> Vancouver is now home, moving north for good after meeting his wife and now band manager Natasha at one of his tour stops years ago. We started kind of socializing a little bit more, dancing a little bit more, and then uh, we became a couple. <laughs> Julio was born into a family of musicians in Guantanamo, Cuba. Everyone played an instrument. 
mi papá, my mi grandparents, mamá, my parents, papá, uncle, sisters and brothers. It was a very loud household. Eventually, Julio moved to Havana for the city's vibrant music scene. This is the first place where, where he used to play. It was called uh, Mine, uh, very close to the um, waterfront. When COVID canceled all live music, Avila's former band stopped touring, and he had a hard time adjusting to the sudden silence in his life. Very difficult. It was very difficult. Yeah, yeah. That's when Natasha told him he should start his own group. I had a, a different husband. You know, he was all happy, cheerful, full of plans, and very, very excited. Now with gigs booking up, he's bringing traditional Cuban music to BC. And Julio knows exactly what to say about all the support he's been getting at their live shows. The people is Vancouver. The people is very good for the, the music, uh, for my music, Cubana. Very good, very good. Jay Durant, Global News. Love it. How can you not want to move when you hear that? Uh, okay, it feels like some tropical country out there with all this sunshine and warm weather we're having. What's coming up? Uh, still another warm one for Wednesday, leading in towards Thursday. Blip on the forecast, cooler with some rain on Friday, but then rebounds quite quickly for the weekend so far. Fall's coming in quick. Yes. Uh, all right, thanks for watching, everyone. Have a great night. Good night, all.